All right, welcome to Unfucked. That is the name of this podcast. It's the name of this podcast because things are fucked, and we don't care for that one bit. Uh, I'm Gutter, and I'm joined uh, by my partner in crime. Not crime. Crime's a bad word. Crime's part of the fucked up thing, isn't it? I've already fucked this up. Let's unfuck the podcast uh, right now with Laugh. Welcome, Laugh. Hey, good afternoon, John. How are you, man? Man, I'm doing all right. I told you off air I'm recovering from uh, COVID right now, so if I sound a little foggy, that's what I'm going to blame it on. Um, (laughs) So Unfucked is our new concept. It's uh, it's a podcast, but it's a broader concept than that. We're going to have... um, a lot of things unfold, but generally when Laugh and I became friends, what we decided was, you know, politics in America is, like I said, fucked. And with your background in law and I have a background in broadcasting, we thought, well, why not try and try and use our skills to unfuck things? Is that is that a fair way to say it? Sounds perfect to me. As we start this podcast, I thought we'd spend some time talking about how things got fucked. And I know you have some thoughts on that. Yeah. Um, my generation of lawyers, uh, that 25 year and younger group, uh, we've lived through a lot of things in the law. Primarily most people, if they've heard of it, we call it tort reform, but basically a lot of changes that favor corporate America, favor moneyed special interests over normal people. And that's not just in the laws that have been passed, but also and the judges who've been appointed and elected all over the country. And as that change has rolled in, people have constantly gotten fucked over the most minor technicalities that have been grafted into the law that are just designed to allow wrongdoers to escape. And as I watch this unfold and watch the tenor of political races change from spirited debate to just fucking hatred and vitriol, I started, it started sort of ruminating that this is intentional and who's behind this and what what, what in the hell's going on because it, it's just not supposed to be this way. You know, we, we live in a democracy where things are supposed to work for the most people and we're supposed to have a fair system based on law. Our, our government's fond of saying to the rest of the world, you know, we have this world's, you know, rule-based order Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, in America, we don't really have a rule-based order. We have a special interest-based order, and it's kind of like uh, some some old fellows that I used to have breakfast with a long time ago when I was a baby lawyer used to say, "You know, the rules run by the golden rule. Whoever has the most gold gets to write the rules." So, boy, isn't that uh, true? Yeah. And so you have the lobbies, and then you have. I've always thought of politicians just being. I mean, they're just. I, I don't think any of them have opinions of their own, frankly. I think it's whatever keeps them in the nicest. And I mean, and I don't mean to make such a blanket statement. That's probably not fair. There's probably good ones out there, I'm sure. Uh, but I think uh, their their best interest is whatever keeps their kids in the best schools and them in the nicest part of town in the biggest house. That's uh, their priority, more so than taking care of us. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. No, no doubt. No doubt. So, so. You know, it's looking at people's uh, motivations. Um, so the system is built to make people wealthy. If you look at Washington, it's a system uh, where a lot of people are not very much, if they can get elected, you know, they tend to find themselves very wealthy over their careers and politics and that's a whole separate show about the the insider trading that goes on in congress and the insider knowledge it's even worse than that i mean you got you got a lot of these putting together deals for 
Congress people to engage in things like that. And uh, you start getting in all these people paying folks to come and talk for an hour at their luncheons or whatever. And it really just becomes very much a pay for play type thing. That's only one piece of it, but that doesn't really describe how we've become so factionalized and tribalized and, and balkanized. You know, that's a separate issue. That that really comes from the, the political class, and that is the people who run campaigns, who uh, draw up the congressional districts, the people who forecast and prognosticate how elections are going to go. Uh, those people, their entire existence is based upon accurately predicting the way that people will vote, and they get paid a shit ton of money to do it. And so those people are the ones who have worked incessantly to drive wedges between us over, well, well enough said, wedge issues. You know, we have six or seven in this country that, that pretty much depend on your answer to those six or seven questions. People will say you're going to vote Democrat or you're going to vote Republican, uh, which is also part of the problem. Right, yeah. <laughs> got, a two-party two system. Yeah. The, neither, neither one of which is a very good choice. <laughs> no, not at all. And um, George Washington, uh, I, I wish I could quote, he has a whole quote about how two-party systems could ruin the country. And then we promptly went to two-party systems as soon as he was out of office. Um, <laughs> so, and here we are. But on a day-to-day basis, like all the people we live in, our communities, we drive around, our neighbors, I really don't know what either or any of my neighbors think about any issues. It never comes up. I know that they want me to keep my lawn put together. Uh, And I make that point to say it is possible that we live in harmony. I think that's more natural than being at each other's throats. But like you said, there are forces uh, that are profiting from doing just that. And it's a whole economy. Uh, I would love to know the number on on how much money is uh, going through the system based on just the polling and the campaigning. Oh, shit. It's it's, it's outrageous. At this juncture, uh, you know, people like that used to be part-time and and they uh, were pollsters and, you know, or they were affiliated with some think tank or some. Um, you know, if they were Democrats, some trade union or union, or were, they were Republicans, they were some, you know, chamber of commerce or whomever. And now those, I mean, those fuckers are everywhere. I mean, now some of these people are even doing it down to local level races. And, you know, it, it's become incredibly important. Redistricting goes on every 10 years where we decide what the boundaries of the congressional districts are going to be for each state. And uh, basically now with computer modeling and all these wedge issues, They've got it down to where they can draw up a district to be safely Republican or safely Democrat based on what they know about people who live within these districts. I mean, that's that's street level, home to home. It's insane, the level of detail uh, that they have there. You know, it really revolves around a few key questions. It revolves around your position on abortion. It revolves around your position on gun control. It revolves around your position on are you in favor or opposed? Do you think there's too many lawsuits or do you think it's just about right? All lawyers are greedy or not greedy. You know, yeah. um, Immigration's a big one. Immigration is a huge one. Gay rights, as far as uh, gay marriage for a long time was a big issue. Um, now the boogeyman is just you know, transgender. <laughs> the boogeyman, transgender. <laughs> They're coming and to get so, you. That's their uh, their mantra. It's like the transgenders are coming to get you. They're right around the corner. It's worse than that. It's, it's, it's transgenders are 
we're in the in the wrong bathroom. <laughs> that's, in, you're that's, right. It's actually the problem. You know. Could you imagine? So, telling so that, that becomes the actual issue, really. Could you imagine um, telling someone? I mean, during the Cold War or during World War One, when there were you know problems, real problems, that uh, you know we we were going to be arguing about bathrooms at some point in civilization. Uh, you know, I, I mean, it's funny to me too because I mean, it's not exactly analogous, but you know, how many times have you taken? For me, as a, a guy with daughters, when I was young. Now I take my daughters into the men's bathroom. You know, so divorce from their mom and I'd have them, you know, for a week at a time and I couldn't just walk into the women's restroom with them and I, I wasn't going to send them in there, you know, alone, not knowing who, who the hell was in there. Sure. So we'd go to, you know, like a handicap stall, let them go to the bathroom, close the door. Sure. I mean, obviously men come in and out, come in and out, they would hear children talking, they would hear, you know, little girls talking. It was like, <laughs> little girls in the men's bathroom, you know, it was like, it wasn't that situation. Or, Whoa, you know, little girls in the men's bathroom, oh, my baby, you know, <laughs> It was none right. of that stuff. Well, generally, I mean, you know, people attack like normal human beings, yeah. but it becomes demonized as a political issue, and people lose their fucking mind. Obviously, you know, they just they just go crazy because of uh, the same way. So many other things become hot, but in this country, we take an extreme example, we declare it to be the norm, we build it into a boogeyman, and then we campaign against it. Well, and uh, it's a complete detachment from actual rational thought about the issue. It's just oh. Stop the boogeyman, right? Yeah. Well, the you know, like I said earlier, I'm recovering from COVID. The COVID vaccine was a, a really great example of that. It's um, and and that was so polarizing, which was shocking to me. Like my whole life, there's been vaccines. When I was going to school, if you didn't have your vaccines up to date, you couldn't come to school. <laughs> uh, it, it was just you know, I've never had polio, and I'm very grateful for that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, really. But the the two sides on that were you you are a terrible person a uh, menace to society if you don't get the vaccine and you should be shunned. And in on the other side is if you do get the vaccine, you're government puppets and they're putting things in your body and it's going to kill you. Everything is just yeah. so. No, it's it's just a vaccine. That's AIDS or cancer, or, you know, microchips or mind control. Some of the things I heard was insane. Just insane. And I still hear it to this day uh, in my day job. There, there's a few people that I, I run across that are, that are just still so anti-vax, you know, now that's a term that makes people angry. Um, I don't really care if other people don't get vaxxed. I think they should. I'm glad I did. It would have been a lot worse. It was bad with a vaccine. Interesting point that you mentioned that, you know, um, long before COVID, within the, the modern evangelical church, there was already an anti-vax movement going. Uh, I don't know how much you know or don't know about that, but when I was a younger person, I, I went to uh, a lot of church. I was there most of the time, several mm -hmm. times a week. And, uh, you know, went to what people call contemporary evangelical church for the most part. And within that, you know, setting, there was a world of people who were already stridently opposed to any of the, the vaccines that we all, people my age, which are 50-ish, we had, you know, multiple vaccines and multiple boosters to get through school, like you mentioned. And a lot of these kids have had nothing from that uh, initial, what they call the P 
PT, PKY, PTK, whatever test where they you know, jab the baby's foot yeah. when, they're, when they're right there born. From that test all the way through, chicken pox, tetanus, mm. diphtheria, whooping cough, measles, mumps, rubella, they had none of that. Yeah. And, and then COVID comes along and it becomes a very hot button issue, you know, and it's the first time we've had to have a mass vaccination for a new disease all at once since probably Jonas Salk and polio when he came forward with the polio vaccine in the, I guess it was the 30s or 40s, somewhere along in there. But um, it might, maybe later, it might have been the 50s. But, uh, you know, the point of it is those folks, it was already a certain element of society who was already stridently opposed to vaccinations before COVID-19 emergency. You know, I, I firmly believe everyone's entitled to their own opinion and I will listen to everyone's opinion and I will treat everyone with respect. I think that's, that's the moral thing to do, but I could not disagree more with that position. And if you look at mortality rates for the time that we live now, even a hundred years ago, it's night and day. We're living longer. Infants live. Mothers live. We're in a really blessed time. Oh, oh no doubt. I mean, I saw an article yesterday that uh, I was reading about a couple of scientists who were actually uh, working on a way to reverse aging in cells and actually have already done it in mice. So it's it's not super far removed from human trials, but it should happen within you know, our lifetime, barring tragedy. And, you know, the idea that you could be 60, 70, 80 years old, get a shot and have your health restored to that of a 20-year-old. Man, sign me the fuck up. Yeah, no <laughs> Can I get that today? Sign Can my I parents up. You know, so and, it's yeah. like, and then you have other people who go, oh, that's not natural. I mean, you know, that's interfering with God's will. Really. Well, if we didn't do anything, we all just lived to 40, <laughs> don't check. we? Nobody's going to interfere with God's will. Because if you want you, <laughs> that's right. you, no matter how Boy, old you are. How about the hubris there, right? That's interfering yeah. with God's will as though we could. Um, right. Uh, yeah, so. So. But uh, I'll keep taking that shot as long as they give it to me. I don't care if I can be 500. Hell, maybe I'll pay off my student loans and have a dollar in the bank if I have a couple hundred years. I, I, was, I always tell people when they bring this up, I was trained in radio broadcasting. That is my that is my area of expertise. I am not a scientist. I have no training there, none whatsoever. So I will take the nearest scientist opinion over my own any day. If something's wrong with my transmission, I don't say, well, I know everything about transmissions. And no, I take it to someone who knows about that. That may be a terrible analogy, but somewhere in there it could have worked. Um, I, I mean, I don't know how terrible it is. It sort of goes to sort of the core of some of the issues we're talking about, you know, a lot of that group that I knew uh, as a younger man uh, who's still very much anti-vax, I'm still friends with all those people and sure. I don't, certainly don't have any ill will towards any of them. I mean, I love them all, love their kids. Some of them got grandkids now. Got nothing but love for them, but you know, part of the problem, sort of that mindset is that it's uh, sort of one foot out the door mentality in the sense that they're like, well, you know, God's got me, so I don't need any of this stuff. And if I'm supposed to die from COVID, then I'm supposed to die from COVID or if I'm supposed to die from mumps or chicken pox or I'm supposed to die from mumps or chicken pox and it's like uh, you can't have a fact-based discussion with people who are so spiritual uh, minded that they don't stop to consider facts I would argue that that's not even true spirituality um, that's oh yeah I, I would agree I don't think it's necessarily fake you know I'm not sure sure it's, it's what is represented yeah. by that, that population that piece it's also the same reason that a couple hundred folks drank some Kool-Aid down in Jonestown with oh, Jim yeah. Jones. That's yeah. right. I grew I, up I mean, in uh, North Georgia, and um, there were a lot of churches that uh, practiced it. I mean, they were 
really in the hills, but they they would do the snake handling. Um, they would handle poisonous snakes and and just say, well, if they got bit, you know, God was going to protect them. That was just the silliest concept to me. Plus, in the Bible, it says, don't don't tempt the Lord. By the way, you know. Uh, it says that very, very, very clearly. I mean, to me, it's the same concept. You're claiming that you know God's will. Of course, all that's very divisive. And, and our podcast is is not meant to be conservative or liberal. All opinions are welcome as long as they're discussed in a reasonable tone without mudslinging, right? I would say that's part of getting yeah. things unfucked. I mean, that's, that's one thing that uh, to a great degree we're, we've lost in society and we're losing it in politics. And, you know, I'm in a a field as a trial lawyer, courtroom lawyer, where we have a civil formality that is enforced by the rules of the court. When your opponent stands up and tells just bald-faced lies and stands up and going, Your Honor, everything that guy said is bullshit. (laughs) You have to go. Have you ever wanted uh, to do that? My esteemed colleague uh, (laughs) is divorced somewhat from the actual facts for the purpose of making this legal argument, Your Honor. The actual facts are X, Y, Z. What a great statement uh, to argue with anyone. Uh, This person who I value greatly is somewhat divorced from reality at the moment, however means well. (laughs) Right, right. And so, you know, you have to... it, it, it's it's the politest way in the world to say fuck you. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Which is what we should all be looking for. Like that's what that that should be one of the goals in all of our lives is to tell people to fuck themselves in the way that they'll thank us for it. <laughs> yes, yes. And you know, and, and that's the thing about the courtroom is when you you stand up to or the opponent, you don't engage your you don't engage your opponent. You argue to the decision maker. And if you do anything other than that, if you break face, if you break, you know, tone, if you break uh, decorum, well, you just get your ass reamed. I mean, it's just like, it's, you know, that day would just be on you like a spider monkey. And just, you know, usually it's a guarantee that you'll lose the point, if not the whole case. It's interesting to contrast that to trying to talk to someone who disagrees with you over a cup of coffee or a beer. Because, you know, you know that's a lot better, very much nowadays. I'll be able to fuck you. No, fuck you. <laughs> so, you know, right. we got to learn how to talk to each other again and Instead of just saying everyone who disagrees with me is evil and, and should be exterminated, which is where our politics is heading right now. Yes. It's kind of scary. And, and, you know, there's some, there's some um, posterity to look at to why that's a bad idea uh, to get into that <laughs> yeah. mindset. Um, I've spent time in my life bartending and there was always, there's always one rule at a bar that all bartenders go by is no religion, no politics, because alcohol, religion, and politic conversations go haywire quickly. Uh, (laughs) You talk sports at bars, and that's a reason why there's always sports on TV at bars, always. Now, that can go haywire, too, but at least it's, you know clearly ridiculous from the get-go right it's, it's confined to the <laughs> yeah that's right to, to the mannerisms and abilities of teenagers and young adults <laughs> that's right but uh yes um i guess we all have to commit ourselves in some way that well we all have to start respecting each other once again like even the especially the people who disagree with us. Like that's a lot of what we've lost. Right. I I mean, you know, when you're looking for the right solution for the most people and one that's also fair to the balance, usually that does involve some level of compromise, right? 
uh, usually it's not completely one side's way or the other's. We sort of morphed as a political unit from that healthy compromise to a a winner-take-all mentality where either side can just take an outlandish position to draw the other side deeper towards what they want than they would normally go, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if it's like, uh, you know, if you say you disagree with the idea of providing meal assistance to kids and poverty so they can have nutrition at school. There's a group of politicians who are opposed to that concept. They have no problem with corporate welfare. You got one group that says, hey, all these kids should be fed and up to a certain income level, which is what most of us call working poverty. And this other group says, no kids should be fed. So, (laughs) you know, if if, if the first side starts with something absolutely affordable, plausible, and reasonable, and the other side comes up with extreme, now when you're compromising, you're pulling down towards the extreme from the beginning point of reasonable, feasible, logical, supportable. So you're giving up the reasonable position to go towards the extreme in the sense of trying to gain a compromise, right? Right. and that's what a lot of our politics have become right now, uh, because we, we tend to have the extremes on sort of each side. And, you know, we like to try to fight for a one size fits all you know, type solution to anything that, that one side or the other believes they can score points with when you're trying to, to balance competing interests and and do what's best for most, it's important that both sides are coming at it with an eye towards reasonable, doable, workable, sustainable versus I'm going to score political points. Right. To me, it's like we should all, or at least most of us should be able to agree that the very young who had no, they didn't choose to be born. They are just here. Uh, They can't work yet. They're not someone like me. I'm in my late thirties. I need to feed myself. Obviously I, I, you know, that's my responsibility, but, uh, to a certain degree, young people just deserve to be fed. They just do the same as old people deserve to be fed, whether they can afford to do it or not. They're not capable of doing it for themselves. And I think a certain amount of compassion, um, should just be a general principle. Now, how we accomplish that, I don't know, but I can tell you when I was in school, I grew up in, in, in poverty. And they had reduced meals and, you know, sometimes they were 35 cents, but 35 cents was hard to come by some days. And, uh, you know, there was always the, there was a big production about being a lower income um, person in school, or even if you got free school lunch, like you were kind of ridiculed by your class. There's a mob mentality that takes over there. You know, people want to kind of snuff out the weakest. I would argue that school lunches should be free. Why are they not? Certainly we can fund that. I don't know why anyone's paying. You know, we done that during COVID for the last couple of years. And of course, I saw, you know, a headline the other day, X number of kids in danger of uh, of being in hunger if we don't reauthorize this program to carry it through this next school year because of not just the fact that wages have not grown very aggressively over the last 30 years or so, but because now we've had 
inflation, so whatever anybody has is worth less. So what they're saying is that if the formulas aren't adjusted and if the budget's not put in place, you have more and more kids going hungry, which, you know, affects uh, their performance all, all the way through school, academically, extracurricularly, athletically. Emotionally. Emotionally, mentally. Yeah. Uh, we're not giving our kids the best chance to thrive when we don't take care of those basic things. And I don't disagree with you. Uh, for the amount of money the government pisses away in a year, um, it's ridiculous. Corporate I bet you I could find five um, federal <laughs> programs right now. Certainly could be able to fix some people, you know, faith yes. people that are in school, you know. I'm sure I could find five federal programs right now that are ridiculous that could go away and feed all the kids. I'm sure I could. And have money left over. And have money <laughs> yeah. left over. Yeah, I may only need three programs. Uh, but, you know, and, you know, for the listener, uh, uh, Laugh and I are not arguing towards any particular program or anything. We're arguing for uh, principle. I mean, we can all agree that kids should eat when they're not able to go out and work for themselves. Now, it's a different arguments when you're, you know, 21 and you, you know, there are different arguments for young adulthood too, but, but for kids and the elderly, let's feed them. Right. We're sort of at the end game in this process. And it's part of the reason that I had this sense of urgency to, to try to get this, this show going, to reach people, try to talk with them. Part of what we're facing right now is we have one group who seeks power for power's sake and is willing willing to create divisions and ignore norms to seize more power. And you have one group who would like to govern, but does not have enough political power to have the numbers necessary to govern. And so if you're trying to govern, you have to have a certain number of votes to do a lot of things. And you don't have those votes and your counterparty in the two-party system only seeks to fuck you and gain more power and only seeks to insert poison pills and cause your initiatives to fail, cause governing to be impossible. It's a it's a tough environment. Yeah. Um, and, and that goes back to the core problem of this balkanization of America where you can circle blue areas and blue states and you can outline pretty much all the South and Middle America all between the coasts as red states and then you just do the math and you, you figure out you know these are guaranteed Republican positions or seats and these are guaranteed Democrat seats so you have very little chance for the calculus to change in the present system and you know one of the things that I, I really want to see is uh, a third party, or a structure within the power structures of the two parties sort of come forward and take hold that is committed to finding the best answer for the most people and then being fair to everyone else. Going back to the idea that government has to work. It's not optional. Right. No, it's it has not. has to work. It's not optional because, I mean, at some point, we can only stay this divided for so long, and it's become commonplace. It's like the United States is divided. I was like, yeah, it's been divided before. Do you remember what happened there? That's my fear. And maybe not in our lifetimes, but if we're at each other's oh, throat. Oh, we're much closer. Yeah, I know. Things. I didn't want to say it because I didn't want to sound alarmist, but I believe that too. I mean, I, I, I believe that civil war is not out of the question. I'm not saying it's going to happen. 
happen. I'm not saying it's going to happen like it happened last time. It'd probably be a lot worse. Cause yeah, um, the ability to chill in mass is is much greater in current modern technology that we have access to and just weaponry. We see it all the time, but, you know, school shootings, mass shootings, all sorts of shootings, and they come in and it's, you know, nine times out of ten, it's, it's an AR-15 that's, that's used. It's, people call them assault rifles or whatever. They're screwdrivers. They're hammers. They're tools. They are. It's just a matter of what idiot is holding a tool. When I was in shop class growing up, we had a, just a goofy, immature bastard in one of our classes that we're learning how to run this auction settling torch and ag class. And that's a man's tool. That is not a fool's play toy. And so our, our ag teacher, we all had a nickname for him, was trying to educate people in the right way to like this, this thing and how far you turn the dial from the gas and the oxygen before you light it. Well, this dipshit's up there and he's trying to teach this kid some maturity. And, and so this dipshit's up there turning the dials. And, and when he hits that flick, Aim for you know, a flame. That some bitch is holding a flame through him. It's fifty or sixty foot flame out across the backyard of the <laughs> yeah. damn shop, halfway to the band building. You know, I mean, thank God the ag teacher was such a rules person, perfectionist. He he didn't let people circle around. He made you stand away across in a line so that the torch head could be pointed in a direction where there was no one, just like it was a gun. That fool standing there holding the damn blowtorch and flamethrower, fifty or sixty foot flame because he's screwing with the damn dials and not paying attention mm-hmm. and i mean you know in retrospect we all kind of got a kick out of it and thought it was sort of funny that you know the theme's like poof, and it's like a cartoon man you know it's a hundred foot of flame goes out across the backyard sure but, you know you get a little older you think back about it you're like oh, shit you know that, that could have burned up that could have killed people it could have burnt down buildings again the rest of us were idiots uh we could run that torch the right way and use it for what it was intended for and never put anyone in danger or sell any danger. I've told people uh, about the gun issue. I said, you know, I got a gun propped the corner of my bedroom and propped there for four years and hadn't moved. Now I've got one in my closet. It doesn't move either. It probably and, needs and to I, be cleaned. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't get up and go out on its own at night, you know. It no. doesn't go off randomly. It doesn't shoot unless somebody flips the safety off and pulls the trigger. And uh, it only shoots where it's pointed. And it, it can do anything from kill something that's dangerous or threatening to killing someone that's dangerous or threatening to plinking in a 12-ounce can at a gun range. You know, I mean, it's, it's only as dangerous as the operator. It's a it's tool, like you said. Tr- true for trucks and ATVs, yes. and automobiles, and motorcycles, and boats, and four-wheelers. A chop and, saw, you know, a jigsaw. Uh, airplanes, an airplane. uh, power tools. I mean, you know, you name it. A crane, a bulldozers. <laughs> yeah. There, you could kill a lot more people in a lot of different ways but uh you know we we are the nation of school shootings and mass shootings so the gun takes the blame no one wants to go back and look at the fact that we basically destroyed our federal mental health system in the 80s uh, as part of the uh reagan revolution we destroyed the funding cut the funding closed down places and, and ceased to be available and made mental health taboo and and we don't provide mental health services very easily. COVID exposed the weaknesses of our current mental health system. And you can't find a, a mental health professional anywhere in America right now with a license that's not booked out the ears from people who have uh, suffered over the last couple of years. Of course they would have. I mean, everyone was isolated for so long. Uh, we, we, we need routine and when we don't have it and 
you know, unlimited money to the populace to stay at home. Um, while I enjoyed it, don't get me wrong, and I paid down my credit cards, and I'm a hypocrite for criticizing it, I'll say that, but it encouraged people to stay isolated and abuse substances. <laughs> what happened? Kind of like being the Canadian out back in wintertime, right? <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> I want to touch on your point on uh, guns as tools. That's, that is what they are. We all, in, in our adult lives, work with people that we would not hand a blowtorch to. I can think of at least three people. I'm like, that guy's should not have a blowtorch, a gun, a knife, or anything. The vast majority of people I work with, they're fine. They can have one, but that guy, no. And, you know, that's a, that's an interesting point. I've got kids young enough that they've been in school, et cetera, and, and still have one in, in high school. And, uh, you know, it started with my oldest, who's uh, early 20s now. You know, these kids always started, they started to think about, oh, that's our school shooter. And <laughs> what, what the hell, what did you do say? Like, oh, yeah, if we ever have a school shooter, it'd definitely be that guy or that, you know, that person. It, it's funny to me that the kids could pick out the people who fit the profile and who they were like, yeah, this is the person we got to watch. It goes back to this idea of, of sort of a broken mental health care system where the system, the school system itself, it doesn't have enough staff they're dedicated to those types of things and trying to find the kids that are at risk kids are troubled and trying to give them resources and give them help but it's it's funny that the kids can pick these people out the staff and teachers administration are usually so busy with everything else that they don't always pick up on it, right and then it's just sort of another shortcoming where we have a kind of a, a misalignment of priorities it's definitely the health uh, system and and for example like my insurance um which I, I have full insurance and everything. It doesn't cover mental health. And I, I, I think that's pretty pretty standard for most insurance. And even if it does, you have to pay out, pay out of pocket, I would say, at least $400 a month to get it. There's, there's quite the entry fee. And if you're severely mentally ill, I doubt that you have $400 extra dollars to spend a month. No, no, you're going to be walking up down the street pushing a grocery cart talking to yourself. The message but, to uh, those people that the system is sending is, well, you're not rich enough to be mentally healthy or mentally well, I should say. Yeah, and, and you know, that's an, as we take apart this sort of unfought thing, uh, we're going to try to think about, you know, um, even take away our own natural personal biases to the extent that we can uh, try to be fair to both sides that we currently have and try to talk about why both sides are failing, both sides are wrong. But you know, beyond just talking about why people are fucking things up, we want to talk about how to fix things because it's not enough to just be able to know that shit's all fucked up. Mm -hmm. How do you go from dangling over this abyss where literally the fabric of society could be torn apart to a healthy, functioning, vital democracy where the government is actively working to find the right solution for the most people and while being fair to the minority that's not in that group of most. And uh, again, looking for the right answer for the most people without consideration, race, sex, sexual orientation, ethnicity, all the normal things we don't discriminate against because what we have is a group of people, a multi-ethnic, multicultural country, uh, and we have basic services that government should provide, and we want those to be provided the best way to the most people. Um, and then we want to be fair to the people who aren't within that best way because they want something else. You know, yeah. we, we've lost focus on 
that sort of this soundbite culture of politics where we just uh, drop accusations and talk about who's going to blow job or, you know, who's grabbing the crotch or whatever the hell's going on that day that has nothing to do with an effective government structure. I mean, the truth is the government should be relatively boring. It, it should be identifying problems and fixing problems. It should not be like days of our fucking lives. And if it's doing, if it's doing its job, it's functioning correctly, if it's healthy, it, it operates almost unseen. There's a lot of, of reasons that our government is not operating in a healthy fashion right now. And, and it mostly comes down to the corrupting influence of money and special interest and a, a group of people who seek to have power for power's sake so that they can set up a set of rules that very small group of people that, that gives them the most benefit at the expense of everyone else. Yeah. And, um, well said. You know, and uh, as we wrap up this uh, podcast, what I'm thinking as an analogy uh, laugh of what we're trying to do here is, you know, when you when it's Christmas season and you first go to try and set up the Christmas tree and all the lights, for whatever reason, are just fucked, Right. They're fucked. It's just a giant tangle. Just a giant tangle. You're like, oh my God, Christmas is never going to come with this bullshit. So what we're going to try. So the country is the tangle of lights and we're trying to get to Christmas. So we're going to try and unfuck it. Does that work? Does that work? I don't know. That's right. And, and, you know, and and the point being that uh, you have to start from the supposition that no side of any argument is 100% correct. That, yeah. that uh, like life, when we were young, we tend to view things as black and white. But as we get a little gray in our hair, we start to understand that there's a lot of shades of gray yeah. uh, and, in pretty much every issue. And there's a lot of valid viewpoints that should be considered when you're looking for the best solution. Shades of gray. That could have been a, that, that could have been a title too, but I think it was taken at some point. Um, <laughs> yeah. Maybe somebody with a, with a whip and a paddle or something. <laughs> so on the next episode, whips and paddles. Um, so anyway, uh, I'm Gunner. That's laugh. I like this, uh, this episode and, um, uh, I will encourage everyone to check us out on our social media platforms. Unfucked is spelled with a T. Because that's how serious we are. I'm going to make sure I spell it correctly as I read it. Yeah, that's U-N-F-U-K-T dot com. That's right. And wherever you get your podcast, you will find us. Laugh, it is always a pleasure. Always, always. Unfucked.com and wherever you get your podcast.